Good morning, Bernadette Wintersville here, your host of From Heartache to Healing and Hope. And today, from someplace tropical, I'm interviewing a really special guest, Dr. Jen Pratt. Jen, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks so much for having me today. Absolutely. So I'm going to take, which is not a big stretch, a guess that you know yourself better than I do. <laughs> so would you be so kind as to introduce yourself to my audience? Yeah, of course. So um, my name is Dr. Jen Pratt. I am a pediatric hospitalist um, at Children's Minnesota. Uh, so I have the great privilege of taking care of hospitalized uh, children as a pediatrician. Uh, and I have a little bit of an interesting backstory. Uh, I was diagnosed with a form of bone cancer when I was 10 years old and was very um, fortunate to be granted a wish through the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Uh, and after that experience, um, I was fortunate to um, be able to pursue medicine and be able to impact the lives of children and families today. Wow. That is absolutely wonderful. And the short version. So we'll fill in <laughs> gaps there for everyone. When you were diagnosed as a child, did you have siblings? Yes. So I have a, a younger sister. She's about five years younger than me. Uh, so she was in kindergarten at the time. And I'll tell you, gosh, you know, a cancer diagnosis, it really affects every single member of the family, siblings, parents, everybody. Um, and it was it was a challenging journey for sure. Wow. Were you able to go to um, a hospital and treatments local? Were you still in Minnesota? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I get to work at the same hospital that I was treated at, which is very cool. Um and some of the same nurses and doctors are still there. Uh, so it has really come full circle for me. Um, but yeah, Children's Minnesota is where I was treated uh, here in St. Paul, Minnesota. And um, got excellent, excellent care and really privileged to be able to take care of kids at the same, same hospital that I received care at. So when you're a 10-year-old, did you understand what cancer was? Or what did you understand cancer to be is perhaps? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. A lot of children know more than we give them credit for. I'll oh, say that. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah. So um, I knew, you know, cancer is some, something that often affected older people. Mm -hmm. And I knew that it was serious. Uh, I knew that it was potentially a life-threatening diagnosis. And um it was a lot to process. It was a lot to process. And who did you have available, if anyone, to talk to about openly to process it? Yeah. So I, fortunately, I was surrounded by a very supportive family, um, neighborhood, school community uh, that really uh, helped um, help me feel positive about the diagnosis, feel hopeful. Um, but even with all of that support, I mean, I can't stress how, how challenging and how um, sometimes isolating it can feel to deal with a, a life-threatening medical condition, especially as a child. Absolutely. You know, I've done a lot of work with children at bereavement camps and who have lost someone. Um, 
And one of the things that happens as adults, we often try to, I don't know negate is the right word, but minimize what they're feeling because we want to protect them. Yes, that's bad, but you have your whole life ahead of you, or you have this, or you mm-hmm. have this, or you have good doctors. And we are trying to give them hope and ourselves. Uh, it's part of our processing as the adults um, in their lives. Did you have anybody that let you just talk about being mad or fearful or whatever it might have been? Yeah, one of the things that really helped me was talking to other children that were going through the same thing. Um, I was really just living in this world where a lot of my friends were also patients at the hospital and going through a similar diagnosis and treatment plan. Uh, I was able to go to a summer camp for children with cancer that was incredible because everybody got it on some level, whether it was a sibling of a child with cancer or patient themselves, we were all um, living in this world that um, you didn't really know what it was like unless you were there. Absolutely. And you didn't have to start with an explanation or you didn't have to sidestep the subject because you didn't have the energy to discuss the situation. Mm -hmm. Like with friends previous from school, you know, where you had gone, you know, And it wasn't their world. You know, they were thinking about an upcoming dance or a football game or whatever was on their mind. And when you're at surrounded by children that get it, they'd be like, yeah, I don't want to talk about what's going on with me. You want to talk? Sure. Go ahead and talk. You don't want to talk? That's okay, too. And it's like, great, great. You want to run? You know, and you can just be kids. Absolutely. It's just that initial understanding, you know, that you're on the same wavelength. Right, right. Wow. Um, so you're diagnosed at 10. How do your teens look? How, how was that process for you? Yeah, so my, uh, my treatment was extremely intense uh, chemotherapy where I was in the hospital for sometimes a week or so at a time. And then my blood counts dropped. I was pretty sick in between for a few weeks and sometimes had to be readmitted with fevers or for blood transfusions. I was unable to attend school. I um, was unable to walk because the cancer was in my uh, leg. Mm. So as part of my treatment, I had reconstructive surgery to essentially salvage my leg um, and, uh, then it was a lot of physical therapy, a lot, a lot of work to try to regain strength, regain mobility, and eventually be able to walk again about a year later. Wow. Um, such a so long was, time. For such a long, long, yeah. long time, long time. After you come out of the rehab, so to speak, uh, section, you're able to walk and, Can you go back to school? How does it go for you? Yeah. So going into my diagnosis, I um, was a figure skater. I was a basketball player. Um, I think any child who is really um, into athletics knows that that can really become your world at that age. Uh, And after this diagnosis, I was unable to do the sports and the things that I normally enjoyed. So that was, that was kind of a loss that I had to grieve. Uh, not being able to get it back on the basketball court, not being able to do my usual skating and 
things that had occupied so much of my time. Um, so I had to find find new interests and new new things to pursue that I was able to physically do. Um, so that that was a period of that took it took some adjustment. Oh well, you don't just say, "Oh, I can't ice skate. I'll just watch the Olympics or the US yeah. I'm a big ice skater person. Um, and then just say, okay, let me go find something else. Uh, what shall I do? Right. No, it, you have to, like you said, grieve that loss. So now it's many losses. It's part of your childhood. It's walking, mm-hmm. it's the sports you were into. It's your life as you knew it. Right. 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 And what did you find that interested you? Yeah, I um, actually became a golfer. <laughs> And you can stand and do that. Wow. Yes. Yes. So it's not a non-contact sport. That was what I was allowed to do for the safety of my leg. Um, and I, it's something I continue to enjoy today. So it actually brought me a lot of joy to be outside and to be able to do something active like that. That's terrific. And <laughs> how often can you play golf where you live? <laughs> I know. Yeah, I know. Right. Well, I'm in Minnesota. It was negative 18 this morning. So um, it is a definitely a shorter golf season here, but we enjoy every minute of it. I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, I'm someplace warm right now, but um, I live year round in upstate New York, which is not negative 18, but close today. So, oh, yeah. you know, the growing season is small. The outdoor sports season is, yeah. You're familiar with all the snow and all the <laughs> the winter weather then. Right, right. When I know when it becomes, or you hope it becomes um, nice outside, everybody's got everything planned. You know, like there's so many things going on. Shall I go to this or do this or do this? Right. Absolutely. So you're living your new life. Yeah. And what did you decide to do when you're in high school or getting out of high school? Yeah, so high school um, was actually an interesting time. I um, felt very connected to the hospital. So after I kind of completed this really intense part of my treatment, I found myself wanting to stay connected and go back. So I volunteered. And then um, I eventually became involved in a peer-to-peer support program where I was able to support other teens who were dealing with cancer or a serious illness. And that was so cool. I'm like, this is amazing. I can form these connections with people. I have this experience where I can really give back and support someone in a really meaningful way. Oh, it's a win-win. And these were your peeps then, not the kids. Yeah. Because this was your world. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And besides being able to utilize what you had been through and experienced and learned and you could share it. Did it seem normal to you or did you think, Oh, I just only belong in the hospital world, not in the real world. How was that? for Mm. you? I think it's, it's a challenging transition, especially as a child, because you have experienced something very profound And um, it's something that uh, peers your age just can't really wrap their head around. Um, Having friends at the hospital that had passed away during my time, um, 
teenagers that I had supported through this support program who had, who had eventually died. Um, there was just so much intensity uh, to the experience and the relationships I had that I, I did find it, it's challenging to be able to kind of connect back with your typical peer group who has concerns that are a lot more trivial. Well, sure. You're thinking about maybe someone that is close to passing or passing and how that is for their family and how it's impacting you. And somebody at school is like, oh my God, I broke a nail. I can't believe it. (laughs) Right. Like, really? That's what you're upset about? But you lived in a different world, you know? Right. Right. At the same time, you know, there's a desire to want to have that. Um, so I feel like it, in a way it was a time where I felt kind of torn between both worlds. I could imagine that because you might want it to be the biggest problem in your life that the laces on your ice skates weren't tied proper when you went out for something as opposed mm-hmm. to all the things that you were going through. You, you know, and it's such a time in anyone's life. You just want to be just like everybody else, you know, not your parents, but you know, the kids. <laughs> Exactly. And, you know, I think during that uh, first five years after diagnosis, it's such a crucial time for relapse too. So having to go back to the hospital to get scans frequently, um, kind of living with this um, unknown of will will my cancer come back um, was something that I also had to manage that, that stress. Um, well, I heard and, tell me that they live from scan to scan. Mm-hmm. They're cancer-free now until the next scan. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it, it's so de- terribly difficult to really dive back into life because you can only do it until the next scan. Emotionally, yeah. sure. Right. Yeah, I know when I was going through that, I, I remember just telling myself, you know, what I know right now is good news and that's what I'm living with. You know, I'm living with the good news. Right. And eventually, um, as I continued to get clear scans and everything looked good, that stress went away. Um, but I think anyone who has been through this before, anyone who's had a family member, um, it's just that you just don't know um, sometimes what the future holds. And I guess none of us do, right? But, um, but you had more focused information that said, you don't know what the future holds, mm-hmm. that forced you, allowed you, pick your verb, how you feel it, to absolutely say, I don't know what the future holds. A lot of us just walk around like, you know, like that, you know, um, sure. Like I know sometimes when people say, if I die, wait a minute, hold on a second. <laughs> I know they mean if they, they're talking about now, you know, uh, but even just saying it like that is part of this death defying culture that we live in. So when a child comes forward with it, adults can be like, it's going to be okay. Don't worry. Don't worry. Okay. I got to go <laughs> because it gets too close for them to be able to appropriately deal with it. You know, how old were you when you went to, um, where did Make-A-Wish send you? Disney World? Yeah. So I went to Disney World. Um, I was 11 years old. So it was right at the end of my uh, more intense part of my treatment. And I will tell you, gosh, that was 
just amazing to have that light at the end of the tunnel to look forward to while we were going through such a hard time with my treatment. And I say we, because it really was my whole family that we were able to come together and and celebrate. Aunts, cousins, neighbors, everyone's holding their breath when you're getting a scan or you're going for rehab. Mm -hmm. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So that was such a special trip um, to have that time together and just to be a kid. Right. To just be scared if you're going on the roller coaster or <laughs> joy, yeah. right? Yeah, I, I'm not big on the, the scary stuff. So it all sounds <laughs> true. Um, but even just to be able to think about being scared at something that's not cancer. Right, right. Uh, yeah, it was um, incredible. And I also, as part of my wish, was able to meet a Disney animator, which was so cool because drawing and art and Disney films, it was all something that really got me through my treatment. Uh, it was such a big outlet for me. So having something special like that to look forward to really gave gave us a lot of hope. You know, when I was going through the experience, I felt um, the sense of um, almost a responsibility uh, that I had just gained so much and learned so much of what it means to be a child going through a, a serious medical condition that I just felt compelled to do something to use that um, to benefit others down the road. I knew, I knew early on, I'm like, it's going to be medicine. I knew I wanted to be a pediatrician. I knew I wanted to work with hospitalized patients and I knew I wanted to go back to the hospital I was treated at. Wow. You know, it, it, it's so rare that um, somebody young knows what they want the trajectory of their life to be. I mean, you know, you ask a five-year-old to want to be a whatever, an astronaut, a fireman. Um, and often we used to get asked in our teens, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, I don't know, older, you know, I that's what I used to answer because I had no idea. But you had had such a profound experience that it clarified it for you. And obviously you went forth and did it. Wow. And what's your connection to Make the Wish Foundation now? Yeah, so uh, I am fortunate to be able to volunteer as a medical advisor for my local Make a Wish chapter. So I help with reviewing wishes, uh, eligibility for wishes, and then travel safety for the many travel requests that we get. Um, so we try to ensure just a, a smooth trip, uh, make sure that it's safe for the child to travel and we have everything set up appropriately. And I can tell you, it's, I, it's so cool to be able to see all the wishes that we're able to grant here locally. And then what Make-A-Wish is able to do really worldwide. It's a, just a, an incredible organization. Wow. That is so terrific. And I would imagine, of course, COVID had an impact on it. And you're coming back from that now. As oh, well. yeah, it's picking up a lot. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, you know, when things get shut down and then it opens up again, we're all like, OK, where do I go? Yeah. What do I do? Right, right. How terrific, you know. So I'm thinking about um, so this podcast is called From Heartache to Healing and Hope, which is exactly what you've been speaking about. And this season is from heartache to the art of healing, which is, I think, an art and a science. So, and this is putting you on the spot, but 
how, if you could succinctly in a sentence or two, tell me how you went, or the audience, how you went from heartache to healing and hope. How did that happen for you? Hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. I really, uh, really believe that uh, the people I had around me and the experience I had with Make-A-Wish really helped me be hopeful, but also uh, helped me transform that experience into something uh, that was so much more. And it really empowered me to use that experience to give back to people over time. And I love that you use um, kind of the terminology, the art, the art of healing, because that is so much, you know, what we do as pediatricians, as, as doctors, we are trying to, you know, hopefully connect with every patient that we can on a level that um, hopefully they can feel, feel that level of healing, be hopeful, and maybe even one day be empowered to share that with others. It's so interesting. Like, you know, before I said, it's the art of healing and it's a science. And always when the arts and sciences come together, they have to do work to get along nice and play in the sandbox together, you know, because it can be from two ends. But when it does come together, you know, it's so beautiful that we're addressing uh, the mind, body, spirit. That's how I see the connection of the art and the sciences that you can offer hope because without hope, really, what do we have? You know, to my way of thinking, there's always hope, but hope changes. You know, I don't have hope to hop out of bed like I did when I was 25, you know, or whatever, right? But we have hope for today or hope for the year ahead, you know? Um, That's wonderful. So you're offering, you're working with this organization that's offering hope, which facilitates healing, can facilitate healing. Wow. Terrific. Terrific. Wow. This must give you such satisfaction. And what else does it give you? Uh, well, gosh, you know, I, I have to say, I feel so, so privileged every day I get to go to work and take care of children and families. Um, there's something uniquely satisfying too, about, uh, introducing a family to make a wish and what that means, asking a family about their wish, um, being able to share that I had a wish too, and just how powerful that is. Uh, I just see everyone in the room lights up. Mm-hmm. Um, and the impact of these wishes goes uh, far beyond you know, a day, a trip, mm-hmm. a week. Um, they really can be transformative in the healing process and after. Exactly. Um, it's really incredible. Does someone have to be at the last stages of, of life's journey to to be granted a wish? Well, I'm glad that you asked that. Yeah, because that is a common misconception about Make-A-Wish is that it's a last wish. Right. And it is not. Fortunately, most children go on to survive their illnesses who receive a wish. 
and they go on to live full and happy lives. Uh, so really, um, Make-A-Wish is often, uh, it's often hope for these children and families, and it has the power to do so much more. And, you know, I'm imagining as you're speaking, um, your parents and sister, among other people, but particularly them on the trip with you, they got to be just parents and a sister. They didn't have to be caretaker or this or that or all these other things that they had been. And your sister could just be a, a younger sister going to Disney World with you. Because when we're taking care of someone um, that's ill, you know, that's a role for us that takes away often other roles, you know? So it's a good yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, I say uh, Make-A-Wish does a nice job of making sure every member of the family feels special. Um, I know my sister looks back on that trip with a lot of uh, great memories too. And we were able to go as a family back to Disney World in March of last <laughs> year. And um, it's so cool because they have a lovely place that... Um, is uh, it's called Give Kids a World. It's for um, Wish children and their families that we were able to go visit uh, and see some of the um, places that we were able to enjoy on my trip. Um, so it's things like that that just make it make it really special, and it's a memory that we can go back and relive um, every time we're in Florida. <laughs> how I'm thinking of how hopeful is it that when any of you and in this case, we'll talk about you, your parents, and your sister, or anyone that was went through this with you, when they come up against a difficult situation to say, oh, yeah, that's right, we've already been through this. <laughs> you know, I probably can do this. When <laughs> what feels like the worst thing possible has happened to you, first of all, the other stuff isn't so important, but also it's like, yeah, I could figure that out. You know, it gives you a new confidence. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. It's like, okay, we got this. We've exactly. already been through all of this exactly. before. We got this. <laughs> we can figure it out. It's just traffic or whatever is going on. <laughs> right? Every day. Yeah. So if somebody wanted to learn more information, where would you direct them to? Because this is going to yes. touch hearts. Yes. So wish.org uh, is the place to go. Uh, you can find more information there about how to uh be referred or self-refer for a wish. Uh, you can find information on how to donate and how to volunteer with your local Make-A-Wish chapter. Love it. Is there a place they could learn more about your story or? Um, yeah, well, good question. <laughs> I would say um, I don't have any specific um, websites or anything, but wish.org has a lot of um, great stories about what um, they're doing for other children too which so many powerful stories out there. It's amazing. And isn't it wonderful to hear hopeful stories and something good that has come out of something difficult, you know? Um, interesting that we're talking about this. Um, I'm gonna be doing a Facebook Live event uh, on Valentine's Day, and it's the gifts of love and loss. And we could rattle off the gifts of love rather easily. But the gifts of loss, not as popular a subject that nobody else is talking about, but they're there, you know? It doesn't mean that what you lost wasn't terrible. 
but there are gifts that come forth. And thank you. I really appreciate you sharing this story and your joy in living. I, it's coming right through and I can't wait to share this. This has been such a pleasure. Dr. Jen Pratt, thank you so much for the opportunity to talk and to share with everyone your story. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's great to have the opportunity to share. Wonderful, terrific. Well, this is Bernadette Winters Bell, your host from Heartache to Healing and Hope. And here on this third season, From Heartache to the Art of Healing, it's Dr. Jen Pratt. Thank you all, and I'll see you soon. <laughs>